My name is Brent. Just Brent the Fandalite. Today we're doing Z-Space Transmissions. Yeah, you finally learned what a cold open is, if I have to ad-lib it with no book. <laughs> the coldest of cold opens. <laughs> it's a cold comfort open. Uh... So today we, we got uh, a lot of reader mail after book 48, since it's the first one we really solicited a specific question, I think. We have enough that we were just going to do an entire episode of Z-Space Transmissions before we pick back up with the regular series. Yes, and this also, for me personally, this episode is also about getting back in the main mind space of recording these. Because I haven't been. We took a, to a little bit of a Christmas break, but we're so close. We're so close, Brent. We're in the, in the last lap. Yeah. And, you know, it feels like it. My arms are getting tired. That has nothing to do with the podcast. I just work out. I kind of have to throw up. <laughs> also, nothing to do with the podcast in particular. These are just our lifestyles. I didn't want to be here. I signed up to do hurdles. Why am I in a marathon? <laughs> Sorry, a little too real there for a second. (laughs) Do you, yes, uh, I'll go ahead and solicit. So we are approaching the end of the series. If you have post-series thoughts, thoughts about the total culmination of the series that have spoilers, but you still want to email us about them, first of all, please do. Second of all, please put something in the title that says, hey, y'all, don't read this. Until after the after the books are done. Yeah, we, we've got a couple of those already that we've just been sitting on and haven't looked at. You could also send us an email that just says, do not open. And we will respect that. Yeah, we'll just, it'll be there. It'll, it'll just sit there unopened in the Fandalite's Gmail account until the heat death of the universe. <laughs> Any day now. <laughs> oh, we can only hope. So the first email we have is from Instant Oatmeal Enthusiast. Instant Oatmeal Enthusiast writes, Hi, Jen and Brent. You noted that we should reach out if we read Book 48 as children. I've been waiting for you to get to this book for a while because it's my favorite one in the series and the one I remember the most. I was an avid fan as a kid and read every book as soon as it came out at Borders. Assuming my pattern held here, I was 10 years old going on 11 when I read this book. To be fair... A lot of the reason this book was important to me was likely because Rachel was my favorite animal. Hell yeah. Yeah, right? I mean, she should be. Yeah. Uh, And because the idea of morphing a monster version of myself was just a fun idea. What kid doesn't want that morph on the cover? I do. I want to, I would absolutely morph a jacked version of myself, like a super ripped version of myself. That would probably be my favorite battle morph. Mm, Okay. All right. If it's just super ripped, if I'm just like getting real fit and like a Stephen Amell looking torso without having to do any work for it. Yes, absolutely. I'm in. (laughs) If I'm getting bigger and growing metal claws and going sort of Tetsuo, (laughs) I, that seems like, man, I'm not gonna be able to sit on any of my furniture without tearing it up. It's like a battle morph. It's not an at-home morph. Well, I I don't get into battles, Jenna. I need an at-home morph. I need an around-the-house lounging morph. You have one. It's your body. No, this is terrible. It's a terrible morph. <laughs> I'm sorry. So you want a super-ripped, super-jack Simon Amell. We have gotten so off track already. I But I have to clarify this. You want a, a si- Simon Amell body. Stephen Amell. Stephen Amell body for sitting sitting around the house. For house sitting. Yeah, I want to sit around the house looking like the guy what plays Green Arrow on the CW uh, with just those abs and grate some cheese on them for my nachos. Okay, that feels like that's a beautiful gift for Val. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it would be a beautiful gift for my self-esteem at least. (laughs) Okay, continue. Sorry. Um, Yeah, okay. Uh, 
<coughs> Continuing. I do, however, distinctly remember one thing about this book that maybe didn't change anything in my life, but made me feel both validated and very vulnerable, though I wouldn't have described it that way then. I was at the end of elementary school, and I was in a space where I was losing friends, for various reasons both controllable and uncontrollable. I felt alone in many ways, and I remember this book highlighting the same kind of struggle with trying to figure out if the isolation I was experiencing was a result of who I was and the choices I'd made, while being frustrated that the choices I'd made were generally made in order to make people like me in the first place. No worries, I'm generally fine now, but it was a rough period. Rachel has agency, of course, but many of the choices she made were tied to what others needed from her. It was a very unfair situation for the others to put her in, and in many ways, both at school and at home, I was feeling much the same. And for my part, I assumed as a kid that she killed David. There was not a question in my mind, because in the same way I felt trapped in my own cycles of behavior as a function of the roles I thought I had to play, I assumed Rachel felt the same, and the role I felt Rachel had to play here involved killing David. Parenthetical, this makes me sound like a sociopath. I did not kill anyone for any FBI agents that are reading this, and parenthetical... Or podcast hosts that are reading this, as the case may be. Don't worry, we we believe you. I have not called the authorities. <laughs> Generally, thank you for reviving the series for all of us. I'd forgotten how much these books meant to me, and your thoughtful and serious, while also funny treatment of the series has become something I look forward to. Thank you. Best instant oatmeal enthusiast. I also may be one of the only people on Earth who liked the oatmeal book. <laughs> I can't remember if I liked the oatmeal book. I'm going to say I liked the oatmeal book in hindsight. I don't know if I liked it at the time. Yeah, that might be how I feel. I wish we had kept spreadsheets with like rankings or like thumbs up, thumbs down for each of our opinions for each of these books. I think the the problem with that, of course, is that the, the books that you read later, I think once you've hit the second Helmicron book, <laughs> your bar for what is an enjoyable Animorphs book, like retroactively is like, yeah, all right. I kind of liked Instant Oatmeal 1 now that I think about it. It was not this. You know, that has its own value, but... Uh, boy, do I not see updating those uh, after reading the second Helmicron book. So it's a lost, lost moment in time. Yeah, I, I too am disappointed that we didn't involve more spreadsheets in our <laughs> Animorphs podcast. <laughs> oh, Brent. I really like what instant oatmeal enthusiast has to say about the fact that they think Rachel did kill David. I think that that's a good argument that being sort of trapped in this cycle, because Rachel really is in that book. And her role to play in that instance would probably be to kill David. And I, I'm curious about if it makes more sense for her character arc for that book to have gone through with that cycle and killing David or to left, leave him alive. I think we'll find out by book 54, which <gasps> seems more likely to us. Oh, that's fair. Do you, you, you don't think we'll get like a specific canon answer, but you think we'll have a better idea of Rachel's mental state? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I really hope we don't get a specific canon answer because I like that this is left up to the reader. Mm. But I think think we'll see what part it played in her character arc affecting how she behaves in the subsequent handful of books. Yeah, okay, I think that makes sense. Well, this is something we'll probably check in on multiple times. (laughs) (laughs) My guess is maybe every single book here on out. Moving on. Mm -hmm. Do you want to do the next email? Yeah. So the next one is from John. The uh, the title is Thoughts on number 48, The Return. Uh, It starts off with a compliment, so I'm going to read that. And everybody has to listen to that. First off, great podcast. Discovered it around the original David trilogy and was waiting until you got to this one. Anyway, my real thoughts slash transmission. Joke's on you, we read it all. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Transmission received? (laughs) When I was first reading this series as a kid, I used to think about what it would be like if I was part of the Animorphs, including what morphs I would acquire, starting with my family's cat, 
Great start. Then move on to a deer in the nearby woods. When I got my hands on the first David book, I thought, finally, let's see what happens now that they're going to start exper uh, expanding their ranks. Completely unaware that it was the beginning of a brutal and ultimately depressing trilogy. <laughs> yeah, you got, you got sideswiped there, buddy. <laughs> Everything that David went through in those books, I internalized as something that could have easily happened to me if I had somehow got re gotten recruited into the gang, totally breaking the head fiction I was building up to that point. Therefore, I couldn't believe when David was brought back 25 books later. And this was not some silver lining situation like what Tobias got with the Illamist in number 13. Nope. He was still a rat, reduced to eating rotten garbage and moldy food and begging for death. It also made me stop and think about how two years had passed since I had read that original trilogy, how I had gone from elementary school to middle school, and what it would have been like to be a rat the entire time. I doubt I was the only kid to draw comparisons between myself and the Animorphs when reading the books, and therefore probably wasn't the only one to recoil in horror when the full gravity of David's situation came back around in this book. And yes, I realized that the point of the Alternomorph books was to allow you to, quote, roleplay, quote, as a new Animorphs member. But I never really got into those, as I knew they weren't really canon. Same, same. Yeah, well, also, I didn't have sweet BMX skills, so I couldn't highly <laughs> identify with the, the point of view character of the Alternomorphs. Uh, I remember buying the Alternomorph book, reading it, and then returning. I think I've, I think I've admitted this on this podcast before. Buying one, reading through it. And then returning it to the bookstore. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a reason that I never bought the second one as a child. Yeah, actually, now that you mention it, I, I think I did stop reading the series around the David books. And in hindsight, I'm, I'm, I can't remember if it's because there was something in the David books, the obvious thing in the David books that are really upsetting and that made me stop, or if it was just... The, the moment that I aged out of the series. I think we've had that conversation on the podcast before, too. That seems very likely. I'm flashing back to it. I still don't know. <laughs> I still don't remember. But I We needed multiple spreadsheets <laughs> for keeping track of all of our various <laughs> conversations. Multiple books and multiple spreadsheets. But I mean, the David books did stand out. There are things in this book that traumatized us. Not traumatized. Like, there are things in this book that were so terrifying that they did stick with us. I'm thinking of you and the ant head stuck in the side. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, there are definitely things in this that clearly lingered in our minds because they were so fucking intense and so brutal and the the david trilogy specifically was really i think the rubicon at which they were never going to be able to be fully functional people after that game oh. because that was the first real real violence that they had done to somebody who was essentially just like them uh real and permanent violence yeah and then and then in 48 having to really face that because they don't yeah. they don't often come into contact with the hosts that they've quote unquote not killed generally speaking i don't remember if i mentioned it in the first book that taylor showed up in but it really would have been a better mm. element for her to key off of if she'd lost her arm in a fight with the animorphs yeah i think we did i think <laughs> this is is this accidentally our flashback episode brent yeah this is our clip show <laughs> uh i yeah when i was first reading these books i definitely 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 thought a lot a lot a lot about being an animorphs in fact that's what all my fan fiction was about <laughs> they were all mary sue's i assume brent did you did you want to be an animorph yeah, absolutely. Surely, I don't think there's anybody yeah. who read these books that didn't. Yeah, that's, that's fair. That's a bomb-ass power. Yeah, it's a good power. And the war stuff is... I that, mean, that's yeah, less bomb. It's not great. I mean, 
it's less bomb. Uh, uh, it's more bomb literally uh, and less bomb figuratively. Uh, yeah. <laughs> For, I'm flashing back. None. Of, I don't think any of my fanfics. I don't think there was ever really much of the war bits. It was mostly hanging out with some cool teens in the woods, turning into animals. Oh yeah, you were just you just had hanging around the house morphs. Yeah, I guess so. I just had my uh, dude from Green Arrow. Yes. Morph and. Yeah. Uh, I had the version of me that was just me, but buff. And those were two, my two sitting around morphs. <laughs> you just arm wrestled in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> buff Jenna versus Stephen Amell. Uh, uh, good. Your your fan fiction sounds extremely surreal. Please find it. God, it's not. It's bad is what it is, Rent. It's so bad. It's bad. It's bad. Uh, it's bad. Anyway, John, thank you for writing. I think what we've discovered... Um, <laughs> Both both through our emails about this book and, and our Twitter conversations about this book is that pretty much everybody who read them as a kid had some amount of identification with the Animorphs and sort of projected themselves in there. I would be real curious if there's anybody who read them and was like, what? Be an Animorph? No, it never occurred to me. <laughs> That's fair. I have to assume those kids just didn't stick with the series, but even in an even less way than we didn't stick with the series. Yeah, it seems like like if if that's going to be your reaction, you would have bounced off book one and just never never thought about it again. Yeah, probably. They're probably not listening to this podcast. <laughs> if they are, I... You know what? I'm not even sorry. It's your own time you're wasting. <laughs> yeah. Listen, we don't control the, the listeners. They can do what they want with their time. Please keep listening to this episode. Thank you. <laughs> um, all right, moving on. Our next transmission from Zero Space is from uh, our good friend Rose. Hi, Rose. Hi, Rose. Uh, the title is But What About Drode, though? This one is harkening back to a little before Book 48. Rose writes, I think the answer of who or what the Drode is was explained in the very beginning of the book. I think Elamist is still playing his game in a mostly hands-off way. He pokes and prods here and there, twisting Elfangor's fate and then the Animorphs fates, but that's all. Krayak takes the opposite approach, which has always been Elamist's weakness. Drode is his interference strategy, his avatar. So I guess this doesn't answer who or what Drode is, but it does answer why he is, narratively speaking. Sorry! <laughs> the Time Matrix explanation from that Z-Space transmission was so perfect, and your guess that Drode is Krayak's last real space piece fits too, so let's just call that more canon than canon, and close the book on Krayak and the Elamist. Enjoy the last few books, love Rose. Thank you, Rose. Do you think there's... A reason why the Illumis doesn't have an avatar? Well, I, I think uh, what we decided in the Illumis Chronicles book was that the Illumis' last remaining piece is the inert time matrix. Oh, that's right. This God, this really is the flashback episode. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, but uh, more more to the point, like uh, like Rose says, the Elemist prefers to work through proxies. Yeah. And Krayak prefers to just get in there and mess it up his, his self. That's fair. I guess Tobias is, in a low-key way, the Elemist's avatar. One of probably a huge number. Yeah, Tobias and then Elfangor before him. Yeah. Like father, like son, it's an inherited title. When Tobias has kids, his kids will be Elemist avatars. <sighs> Being Elemist avatars is the worst inheritance. It does seem pretty bad for the people for whom it is bequeathed upon. I just like that you said bequeathed on air. <laughs> That's for everybody listening. Hey. Uh, <laughs> uh, moving on. Yeah. So this is from uh, a reader named Sophie, parentheses, just Sophie. And it is called uh, The Changelings. Ominous. Hi, Brent and Jenna. Hi. 
This is something I've wanted to hear you two talk about, but thought that it would be better to talk about later, and indeed, maybe after you finish book 54. Well, there was no spoiler in the title, so I'm going to keep reading. <laughs> I'm, not right. sh- <laughs> I'm not sure if you're aware, but when K.A. first pitched Animorphs to Scholastics, it was a trilogy of novels called Changelings, rather hmm. than a collection of about 60 stories. I don't think calling this 60 stories... There's probably like 30 stories in here. I'll say that about the series. Wow. You put, in, you put an Animorphs on blast Putting here before blast. we've even gotten to, to the 50s? Kapow. That was my blast noise. It wasn't very good. I'm sorry. It was off the cuff. Anyway, Do back it again, to the but email. louder. Kapow. There we go. Oh, I spat. Get that in post. I spat everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's my new ringtone. Uh, sorry Sophie says assuming the overarching plot would be the same which of our Animorph books do you think would be included in each of the three novels and what points do you think would have been chosen to divide the story into thirds personally I think the first book would have roughly covered the first four books ending with the introduction of Axe the second book would have covered the majority of the series ending with the Andalite fleet being contacted at the end of book 45 and the last book covering oh there is a spoiler nice by which I mean there's a tag that says spoiler and they're not telling us what the spoils are which i very much appreciate thank you guess it's just the from the end of book 45 to the very end yeah thank you so much for this podcast and i can't wait to hear you read the finale so what do you think god yeah this is a great i'm thinking about how you would condense this whole massive thing into a trilogy i was completely unaware of this little bit of of trivia that that had been pitched as like a a hunger game style yeah ya dystopian trilogy but man i tell you what would not have made the cut is the fucking helmicrons number one (laughs) and i really doubt the animorphs would have done a 9-11 god yeah probably probably would not have gone into the sea quite as many times as they did just the ones to get axe, I think, probably. Yeah, probably, and then bounced, you know? What do they have to do with the sea? Nothing. I feel like the second book would have been the David trilogy. The David trilogy. A, a version of that. Yeah. I'm trying to think if three books is tough. Yeah, it has. It had to. It would have had to have been radically different. Yeah, because I, I think uh, I think Sophia's right that book one would have gone up to Axe being introduced. That would have been like the last story beat because you would have needed some of that just teens not knowing what the heck. Hmm. And then the David trilogy or a version of the David trilogy being the second book makes sense, but it would be really difficult to pull that off and then still have the hardcore emotional stinger of. Rachel having to reckon with what they'd done. I don't know if that would have. I don't know if the reckoning would have happened. Yeah, I don't trilogy. think it would have made the cut. There's, there wouldn't have been enough space. Which is a shame because that's such a such an important and impactful moment. It, it just seems it makes sense to me that they would have done the first book and then be like, "Well, we got to start recruiting." I know a kid. Yeah, and then and then that goes as wrong as it could, and that's the second book. Them fighting. I mean, it's exactly the David trilogy, basically, and <laughs> them them fighting uh, the Yerks and fighting David at the same time. Time. And then in the last book, I think it would have gone from them contacting the Andalite fleet to whatever this uh, end game is. Yeah, it yeah. would have been about the the Andalite fleet's introduction. So it would have been the first book would have been the Animorphs in and of themselves. The second book would have been the Animorphs uh, when they introduce new members. Axe would have been the the gallant and David the goofus. <laughs> and then the third book would have been when when they actually get some 
air support. Yeah, I think that makes sense just thinking about, like you said, the Hunger Games or really any like modern, relatively shorter run series. I guess Trilogy is a pretty good run, but they it, it's all about like the escalation of the story. So I think it makes sense that the third book would have been about the fleet arriving and them dealing with that. Yeah, there, there would have been a lot less uh, heist style episodic stuff for sure. Yeah, and less, less sort of delving into their friendships and all of their relationships, which would have been a loss. It's true. I don't know if Marco would have been nearly as likable if he'd just been season one Marco for the the whole run. No, that would have been a harder pill to swallow. <sighs> yeah. I mean, all of their all of their emotional and mental transformations really had to be long running in order to have the impact that they have. That's true. It wouldn't, I don't think, have been nearly as effective a, a message about the human cost of, of mm. this sort of fight if you didn't have so long to spend to, to get attached to these characters. Yeah, so to answer your question, Sophie, no, I wouldn't prefer a three-book Animorph series. Thank you. Please don't use your time-altering powers to go back and make sure Scholastic takes her up on the changeling pitch we say no thank you or if you do at least remember to make sure that hendrick chapman still becomes a controller <laughs> it, it is un- immutable unchangeable point in time all right it's time locked you can't do it <laughs> do you want to take us to the next one brent yes let's roll right into the next one the next one is titled z space transmission I believe this one is from Al. Al writes, I finally caught up with the podcast just before it ends, and I've got some questions. Here we go. First, do you think you'll do a wrap-up episode after the final book? Yes. Yeah, probably. We might do one of us and one of Z-Space Transmissions if we get enough. Yeah. Uh, and are you going to do Alternomorphs too? Yeah, probably. We we pretty much decided uh, we're going to have to. Yeah. Probably right between 53 and 54, just to drag <laughs> it out as long as possible. <laughs> Thank you, and sorry in advance. Because your Rachel voice is basically the best thing ever, and I need it in my life. Well, that's excellent. I'm I'm happy that you appreciate my uh, poor amalgamation of several '90s wrestlers. <laughs> I appreciate it too, Brent, and I don't say that to you enough. Oh, <laughs> Jenna, you say it every time that you agree to record with me. <laughs> And finally, Nickelodeon Animorphs Review Podcast, yes or no? Though as much as I will miss Fandalites, I'm not sure anyone should be subjected to that. Yeah, I don't even know (sighs) where I would find that. Uh, It's on Amazon Prime Video. Fucking is it? Uh Uh-huh. Jesus God. Yeah, of of course I looked. Of course you did. Pretty much when we started doing this podcast, uh, that was one of the first things I did was look that up and thought, I'm going to end up buying this shit, aren't I? God. Yeah, to answer that question, I don't know. I'm not, I'm definitely attracted to the idea, but I don't know how we do it as, I don't think it would be quite the same format, if that makes sense. Yeah, we'd have to, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about that. I know, I know we've talked on the podcast about how we're gonna talk about that, and you can safely assume by the discussion we're having now that we haven't actually talked about that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we've had a lot going on, give us a break. I assure you, we will, at some point, talk about it. God. Yeah, it's, it's still under consideration. Is we'd, it? we'd have to find the right way to do it, I think. We can we can buy the entire first season of, of the Animorphs TV show for $2 through <laughs> Prime Video, and that's... 
Okay. That's amazing. Actually, I am going to do that. All right. Us, us watching it is not under consideration. That's definitely happening. Us yeah. doing an actual podcast about <sighs> it, episode by episode, still under consideration. We may just do a couple episodes covering the whole thing if we decide that there's not enough, or I don't know. We, we'll have to figure out the format we want to do it in. Yeah, I'm looking at the thumbnails for all of the episodes, and it's really good. It's giving me <laughs> such powerful 90s Nickelodeon flashbacks. Oh, I want to watch this tonight, Brent. Tomorrow's Saturday. It's Friday night, motherfuckers. Do your thing. <sighs> they also have gargoyles. <gasps> oh, <laughs> gargoyles <laughs> is $15 for the first season. Uh, that should tell you, I think, what you need to know <laughs> about what to expect out of the Nickelodeon Animorphs <laughs> show. <laughs> Good. Okay. This has been uh, the segment of the show where we look things up on Amazons and tell you how much they cost. Sorry. <laughs> This information is almost immediately outdated. (laughs) Also, sorry, getting back to Al's uh, Z-Space transmission. Um, I I don't know if this is appropriate for a Z-Space transmission, but I need to point out some Andalite BS. That is the the most appropriate Z-Space transmission. Yeah, never doubt that we want to read people pointing out Andalite or Alibist BS in there. (laughs) We know that Elfingor has acquired a couple morphs. Even after the Elemist erases some history, he has definitely acquired at least the Caffet Bird as a child. This didn't occur to me until they confirmed, I think around the 20s, that morphine and demorphine heals you, but when Elfingor crash-landed on Earth, why didn't he just italics morph and fly the fuck away? Which is a great point. It's a great fucking point. Jake once morphed out of a rhino with a bullet in its head. <laughs> yeah, he did do that. <laughs> which I forget about a lot. <laughs> Elfingor seriously just had a burn wound. Sorry, a burn wound and enough time and energy to explain the existence of his species, <laughs> project detailed images into human minds, activate the Escafil device, and pester orphans about his dead wife. <laughs> so I have a theory to explain it all away. Elfingor had Sula's disease. For those of you who uh, are just joining us... This is your first episode, number one. What the fuck? Go back to episode one, you chump. No, this is a flashback episode. You're going to learn everything you need to know about the series from this episode. In fact, start here. Tell your friends to start with this episode and (laughs) then circle back. (laughs) Don't bother with most of the podcast, just the last like six episodes. (laughs) So for those of you who are just joining with Sula's disease is the Andalite genetic condition. It attacks their nerves and causes excruciating pain as time goes on, although this pain can be soothed with space weed. That's weird that the Wikipedia says that. (laughs) (laughs) Because the disease is part of the Andalite's DNA, it cannot be cured by simply morphing, as the Andalite's genetic code will still have the disease. So yes, that's Sula's disease. Uh, Nobody knew about it because he was this huge war hero, and not only would he lose all of that if people knew, but it's not that important since there's no cure, and he can already get his pain medicine through Gefinilin, who's on his ship. (laughs) And then in parentheses, why else would a Vekul get to go on a warship? Because he's the hookup! Nice nice use of of, of an ableist slur there. (laughs) Oh, damn. Uh, Only when he crashed on Earth, he knew he'd never be able to find a space we'd ever again. (laughs) And the chronic, heh. (laughs) 
uh... pain kicked in for the first time in forever, so he basically thought he was going to die. If he escaped <gasps> Visser 3 then, he'd either have to hide out for the last couple months of his life and never fulfill his vow to kill the Visser, or contact Andalon, which would find out that he has Sula's disease because there's no reason for someone more capable to ever be sick. So he decided that he'd rather die in battle, or at least daring a battle, and doesn't save himself from the Visser. Well, I hope you enjoyed me going off about Alfangor. <laughs> Thanks for reading this transmission and making this podcast. And yeah, I really did, because I like did, that yeah. theory, man. I do too. If only Alfanger know knew we had Earthweed, could have <laughs> saved himself. If only Alfanger was every '90s blacklight alien poster. Take me to your weeder. Ugh, oh, gross. If only Alfanger had lived on Earth in like the '60s or '70s. Oh shit! <laughs> that just blows this wide open. So I guess only space weed is effective against Sula's disease, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably the case. That's tragic. So it's, yeah, yeah, I think that's probably the case. I do like this theory a lot. Yeah, he didn't really have the option like he did in the 70s to become a Nothlet again because, you know, Visser 3 is there and going to eat him. Yeah, and and and, and who's going to assume the Elfing, or that the Illumist is going to come through a second time? I wouldn't. I wouldn't count on that twice. Yeah, he's he's moved on to our boy Tobias at this point. He's done with Elfangor. Right? Right? Friendship ended with Elfangor. <laughs> Tobias is now my uh, galactic pawn. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, I think this is a damn damn good theory. I really like it. I'm, I can't say that it's more canon than canon uh, necessarily, but I, I really, hmm. I like it in the same way as I like the, the fan theory that Ferris Bueller is a split personality of Cameron. <laughs> in that I, I really like, uh, I, I think it changes the reading somewhat and I love it. It does explain, I mean, it does explain why Elfangor just doesn't do the, do the damn thing. Like, I have to assume that there are some Andalites who forget that they can morph and then die of things that they don't need to die of but i have to assume that's like the andalite darwin award winner i mean elfinger knows we've because he's you know he's lived he knows about morphine and its utility but yeah he's just so very tired oh he's ready to go see lauren oh no brent you have to stop (laughs) brent you can't do this (laughs) uh child soldiers continue this war without me i've earned my rest (laughs) oh no I'm going to just shunt us along to the next email, because you've broken my heart. This one is from Walt. The title is, Can You Do Animorphs as a Tabletop RPG? This one should as well be addressed to you, Brent, but I'm going to participate too, because I also game. (laughs) I just don't write games. I haven't written a game in... Yeah, I mean, we're very old. Measured out my life in podcast episodes. <laughs> oh, God. I have seen the pod bean hold my head and snicker. <laughs> I, I've seen Blue Apron advertise each to each. I do not <laughs> think they will advertise with me. funnier on the show than that Brent. <laughs> that's my boy ts <laughs> oh god uh, hi brent and jenna this is walt again 
After episode 48, I just wanted to say thanks for doing this podcast. You're welcome. It's been such a treat having the two of you bringing such interesting discussion each week, especially when the books get emotionally real like this one did. A question occurred to me as I was listening to your latest episode. As you were talking about Rachel and how she was justifying and examining her actions, I was reminded of my tabletop RPG group discussing and justifying their character's actions after a session. Now, that may just be because I was listening on the way home from a session, but it got me thinking, since you two talk about role-playing as a hobby, do you ever find yourself understanding Animorphs through that lens? Do you find yourself wanting to explore the themes of Animorphs in your role-play? Is Marco just the one guy who plays the same halfling rogue in every game? Yes. <laughs> to answer your last question, yes. I'd love to hear any thoughts you had on the matter, like what games slash system setting you might choose to explore the same thing, themes that Animorphs does. Thanks again for your great podcast, Walt. Thanks for writing, Walt. Yeah, thank you. I think Marco is the dude at the table who's like, I want to seduce the barmaiden. And the DM is like, okay, I guess roll charisma. I, I roll a two, but let me make an argument for why I should still seduce her. That's how I feel Marco would play. Marco is definitely the thief who kept stealing from party members and oh. really kept like trying to debate whether getting it on was a performance skill or <laughs> a profession. Yeah, he's the one who steals like priceless artifacts and everybody at the table knows, but none of their characters knows. And it just creates this sort of weird tension among the group. That's how I feel about Marco. That really wasn't his question, but, uh, you know, go off. I'm going to I'm gonna leave on the table for a second the question about whether we ever find ourselves understanding Animorphs through the lens of role-playing as a hobby, since uh, Walt did say that, that they've listened to the podcast before. <laughs> so I feel like that's asked and answered. Yeah, it's out there. I mean, yeah, a lot of the things that the Animorphs do is just sort of like, they are, they do party encounters. Like so many of the books are like, I'm just going to rush in. I'm a barbarian. I'm just going to rush in. I'm a bear. I'm a bear. I'm a barbarian. <laughs> a barbarian? Yes. So I feel like, I feel like a lot of the books are structured in such an RPG-ish way. Like you have like, I'm just picturing everyone that opens with Eric being like, I I've heard some scuttlebutt for a mission. Like that's every setup to every D&D &D game that's ever been played on this planet. Yeah, er Eric the Chi is sitting in the corner of a tavern and they go in at the beginning of the adventure. <laughs> and he says, hail and well met adventurers. <laughs> yeah, that's it exactly. Evil Lord uh, Visser has... A a new plot. <laughs> God, if I were going to write an Animorphs fan fiction, it would be the Animorphs take a day off and play D&D. Oh, that would be great. I would love That'd to see good. the D&D episode of Animorphs a la yeah. Community. Yes, I love the D&D episode of any show. Yeah, uh, so as for Explore the Themes, there's definitely some games that focus on the theme of uh, intensely being affected emotionally and psychologically by the things that you do and uh, are going on around you. Hmm. Usually my group keeps it lighter. We're more of a, a beer and pretzels type uh, situation <laughs> to, to borrow a real old group type descriptor. But I, I do kind of want to occasionally do a way more serious game. I know we did a, a Burning Wheel game in college mm. that got a little bit into 
psychological trauma uh, areas. Yeah. Yes. God, that was a great game, Brent. I, I think about that game from time to time. It was so good. Yeah. I'm I'm a little sad that we never wrapped it up. Yeah. Maybe we should we should harangue our friends about that. Maybe do like a, a decade after reunion. Ten year reunion. Burning oh, Wheel. God. Burning Bridges the Return. Yes. That would be pretty wild. When I was thinking about war war never changes style role-playing games burning bridges was up there but what you said really makes sense in, in regards to games that have a system for trauma emotional or mental because there are a good number of games that have that like mm-hmm. i'm thinking of any call of cthulhu-esque game is going to have some sort of sanity meter which i think i think you could adapt pretty pretty appropriately to an animorphs game yeah i i've actually i've spent a lot of time like a lot of time thinking about what game system <laughs> i might i might adapt to do the animorphs and i think what i came down to is it really depends on what sort of animorph story you want to tell if i was really interested in exploring that intense emotional trauma angle i know like unknown armies 3 has your sort of mental health at the very center of your character sheet like the oh. more well adjusted you are the less good you are at violence and then like as you are traumatized you can choose to either like become more broken by that or harden yourself to it and become less human and so that that would be one that i might try to adapt although it might be a little the the morphine bit might be a little crunchy (laughs) if i wanted to do a game more focused on the the interpersonal relationships between the teens um and how they're affected by their struggle uh there's an indie game called misspent youth that um is basically the setup is always a group of optimistic uh, young people versus um, a monolithic entity that is in some way keeping society down and how as they move closer and closer to meeting their goals they have to sell out some of their principles in order to 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 get there so that would be a good one for that if i wanted to do a real like four color anamorphs like the the sort of the the ghost-written middling books where it's just sort of a, a by-the-numbers workman-like Animorphs defeat the evil Visser Repulsa's plan to take over Angel Grove-style <laughs> story. There's a, a game called Henshin, which is around playing Sentai groups, uh, and it's mm. real rules light, but basically I'd have to figure out which Animorphs archetype is the, the red one and which is the green one, etc. Axe would definitely be silver or gold, since those are the alien ones that are brought in to, to contrast the rest of the party. So that, that could be good. Yeah, I feel like there's got to be a way that you could do it in a, a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Have you heard of masks? Yes. In fact, there was a podcast I, that somebody recommended to me on Twitter that had done an Animorphs game using masks. Oh, great. God, that's good. I keep meaning to email them and ask for their rules. It was, uh, oh, the One Shot podcast. They did a four- uh four episode arc where they did an Animorphs game and I think somebody on Twitter said they were using masks which would be a good I mean, one I think. It makes a lot of sense yeah masks for those who don't know is a, a, a an RPG that's about creating a superhero team and it has like superhero sort of the, the archetypes so you could be like a Robin style who doesn't have powers but is butt kick or you could be like a beast boy or you could be like a team of six beast boys. Yeah you'd have to be right. <laughs> yeah and so I think you could I think you could use masks to do to do something like that it would be pretty interesting and clearly somebody already has so <laughs> yeah uh walt i hope that answered something maybe not your questions i hope it answered something inside you yeah i, I hope it spoke to you in the way that your question did to me <laughs>
Uh, is that all? <laughs> is that all? Turn the mailbag upside down. Is it empty? Uh, so the only things we have left in the mailbag are marked spoilers. Don't read out until after book 54. So we're okay. going to hold off on those. Excellent. All right. So yeah, that'll do it for this week. We got quite a bit of mileage out of this week's transmissions. They really filled up the, the Z-Space transmission buffer. <laughs> I've had a friggin' eight emails notification bubble on the Gmail app on my phone for literally a month now. And it's been killing uh. me, killing me. You poor man. You poor man. I have a problem. Ugh. You're an addiction. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Join us next week when we will be getting back into the actual series with Book 49. <laughs> if you want to send us a Z-Space transmission, you can email us at vandalites at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter and we'll engage there. We usually don't read the tweets on air because we usually just engage in real time. Uh, we're at vandalites on Twitter um, and we each have individual Twitters, but who cares about those? You can visit us online at vandalites.com. Our sister site andlighttruth.org just got a new uh, image that somebody submitted so that's there thanks for the email send us more emails thank you for listening yeah thanks for listening see you next time and until then remember nostalgia is a drug (laughs) 